how did you find out Patty was missing? I was called by her babysitter, and she said she had not come home to her baby. It's like being kicked very hard. Something had to be wrong. We decided that we were going to go out and start searching. That was horrible. She was working at a place called Honey's as a dancer. I didn't like it, and I was always telling her, you've got to be careful. They really kind of focused in on the club. They figured that whatever happened to her started there. Patty's car was parked off the main street. Somebody wanted the car concealed from sight. They looked in the car, and that's when they saw the massive amounts of blood in there. And that's the point where everyone lost hope. I just heard this voice in my head. And it said, she's not coming home. I'm Paula Zahn, and tonight we're on the case in Everett, Washington, about 30 miles north of Seattle. The peaceful city on the shore of Puget Sound became the epicenter of a disturbing mystery when 26-year-old Patty Berry simply vanished. For more than two decades, the troubling clues behind the young mother's disappearance baffled investigators and left her heartbroken family on a quest for justice. July 31st, 1995. It was a hot summer day when Nancy Stensrud got an upsetting phone call. Her daughter, Patty, had not picked up her two-year-old child after work. I was called by her babysitter, and she said she had not come home. I thought that very strange. So I just said, well, I'll be up there in a few minutes then and pick up the baby. As soon as Nancy hung up the phone, she began to worry. I started calling, you know, some of her friends and stuff. Nobody had heard from her. So my concern was growing at that point. Patty was a very, very good mom. She would never not come home to her baby. Patty's family, including her cousin Pam, rallied to help Nancy in her search. My mom called and said that Patty was missing. Had we heard from her? And I said, no, we haven't heard from her. Did it make sense to you, because her daughter was the center of her universe, that she would skip town without telling anyone? No, something had to be wrong, because she would not just not come home for Jess. Patty's family contacted all the area hospitals and even the county morgue. At the time, my husband worked at the medical examiner's office, so he called down there 
to see if anybody had been brought in, and it was a no every time. Patty's mother knew that her next call had to be to the sheriff's office. She told investigators that Patty worked as a dancer at a nearby nightclub. I didn't like it, and it's not a good lifestyle, but they do it because of the money. She was working at a place called Honey's. She was supposed to pick up her daughter from her babysitter the next morning by 9 o'clock at the latest. Uh, she didn't show up. Sensing the fear in Nancy's voice, the sheriff immediately launched an investigation into Patty's disappearance. He decided that he would go ahead and put an APB out on her, which was very unusual because they usually wait 24, 48 hours. Patty's family also took to the streets. So even though police now, at this point, were searching for Patty, you decided to take this into your own hands. Yeah, we weren't willing to sit at home and wait for a phone call. Describe to me what it was like to get into your car and look for her. A horrible feeling. It was horrible. Meanwhile, officers visited the club where Patty worked. Were investigators ever able to put together a timeline of Patty's last known whereabouts? To the best of their ability, they were. We know that she got off work at about 1.30 in the morning on July 31st. The bouncer who had been working the door that night said he had walked Patty to her car. But as they got closer, he noticed that something was wrong with her front tire. Front left tire is flat. There are a couple of patrons there. Someone procured a can of fix a flat. They put that in the tire, got it about half inflated, but she needed more air. They let her know that she needs to fill it very quickly. That night? That night, absolutely. And she said, yes, I will do that. Investigators retraced the route Patty would have traveled and stopped at the first gas station where she might have tried to fill the tire. What they found was troubling. There was a note on the air machine there that it was inoperable. Was there any indication she ended up going there? There was a witness that saw her, and that would have been the last known time that anybody had seen her. As the sun set without any news about Patty, her mother had already begun to fear the worst. It just never got any better. You have a few seconds where everything's fine. And then you realize what has happened. And it's like being kicked very hard. I thought my daughter is dead.
Police searching for 26-year-old Patty Berry were trying to retrace her last known movements. A bouncer at the nightclub where the missing young mother worked told investigators that Patty had driven her car out of the parking lot just after 1 a.m. on her way to fix a flat tire. Detectives believe that Patty had tried to use a broken air pump at a nearby service station, but they still had no idea what happened next. Sheriff's investigators had sent out a statewide all-points bulletin on Patty Berry, but it was the young mother's family who stumbled upon the next critical clue. Patty's missing car tucked away out of sight from the roadway. My dad said, oh, hey, that's her car. Patty's sister, uncle, and grandfather cautiously inspected the car. They got out and didn't want to touch anything, but looked in the car and they saw the massive amounts of blood. Um, saturated. Although Patty was not inside, the grisly discovery left no doubt as to her fate. That's the point where everyone lost hope. Yeah. Yeah. We all knew she was dead. Patty's sister immediately called police, and then her mother. She said there was so much blood in the front, and especially in the back. I just heard this voice in my head. And it said, she's not coming home. Investigators from the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office arrived at the scene minutes later. What did investigators make of the location of where Patty's car was discovered? It was parked off the main street. Somebody wanted the car concealed from sight. Detectives also took note that her car had been parked just steps away from a car wash where she might have stopped to fix her flat. Where her car was ultimately found had a machine to fill up your tire. But it appeared that Patty was never able to use it. Drops of blood on the exterior of the car led police to theorize that the young woman had been ambushed while she attempted to inflate the tire. And the car's interior painted a grim portrait of how the rest of the attack unfolded. What did they see? Copious amounts of blood. The front driver's seat is heavily blood spattered. The uh, rear seat, and particularly the floor in the, in the rear seat is just large pool of blood. It's obvious at this point that we are no longer in a missing persons case. But this is a homicide. Patty's car was transported to the lab for processing. 
while investigators search the surrounding area for clues. Did they find any other evidence around the car? They did. They found several items that uh, were patties. There was a pair of jeans that had blood on them. Her bag that she had been seen leaving the club with, her dance costumes, there was additional blood evidence on those items. Patty's family told police that they believe the attack had to be connected to the nightclub where she worked. I was always telling her, you've got to be careful. She hated it, but she said the pay was good. Patty hoped that the money would finance her education and lead to a career that she and her family could be proud of. I think there's a huge misconception about dancers. They are real people who have dreams. She was going to college, and she was doing computers. Patty worked around the clock to achieve her goals. She just told me, Mom, do you know what it's like to work, go to school, raise a baby? I, I think she always wanted a very good life for Jessica. While officers scoured the countryside in search of Patty's body, police also began the hunt for a suspect at the club where she worked. They really kind of focused in on Honey's. They figured whatever happened to her started there. Six-year-old Patty Berry's car had been found hidden in an alleyway. The massive amount of blood evidence found inside left little doubt that the missing mother had been savagely murdered. Investigators found articles of Patty's clothing in a field close to her car, but they were still searching for the young woman's body. Eight days after Patty vanished, two children playing in the woods made a gruesome discovery. The lifeless body of a young woman. It was discovered near the trail. Two kids found it. They called the police. When officers arrived, they quickly became convinced that the victim was 26-year-old Patty Berry. What was the condition of Patty's body when it was discovered? She was uh, nude from the waist down. She had several apparent stab wounds in her face, neck, and throat. experienced members of law enforcement were staggered by the brutality of the attack. Patty received about 18 stab wounds to the face and neck. It was a real bloody, gruesome crime scene. Very, very violent attack. For 
For Patty's family, the news was a confirmation of their worst fears. To have your child die is unbelievable. To have one murdered, it just makes it so much worse. While Patty's family tried to process their loss, investigators began the search for answers. The medical examiner determined that the attack had been sexually motivated. Although autopsy did not recover biological evidence, it's my opinion that Patty was sexually assaulted. As police studied the totality of the evidence, specifically her car and where it was found, a theory of how the crime unfolded slowly emerged. What we believe happened to Patty Berry is that she came in this side of the car wash to get to this air. But she never got a chance to use the machine that would inflate the tire. This is the front driver's wheel, and you can see by the image that it's flat, the tire's flat. She would have been using the air to air up her tire when she got blitzed attacked. And you can see some blood stains that are actually in the outside surface. Detectives believe that Patty managed to get into her car where the attack escalated. How would you describe Patty's last moments alive? It was brutal. Just overwhelming force. He hit her so quickly that there wasn't much fight. Police believe that the killer then drove Patty's car to the wooded area where he disposed of her body. Police were fairly certain that Patty's killer had placed her body in the back seat, driven her to the body location site, dumped the body there. Did the location of where the body was found suggest that whoever left her there was familiar with the area? Immediately. Police immediately surmised that whoever dumped her body there was familiar with the area. But who would have wanted to hurt Patty Berry? Investigators went back to the club where Patty worked. Now, was there anyone paying undue attention to her that night? Was there anyone that appeared to follow her out that night? Officers hope that surveillance video from inside the club might reveal those answers. But the tape police received was blank from beginning to end. By design or by accident? The thought was that the club destroyed the video. Their position is that they don't cooperate with law enforcement. The club owner's actions only heightened suspicions. But without evidence connecting them to the crime, there was nothing law enforcement could do. Then, detectives got a call from a patron with a mysterious story. 
What did he tell investigators? He had been at Honey's and that he had talked with Patty that night. What was his name? James Leslie. The 38-year-old told officers that he arrived at the club between 9 and 10 p.m. and spent about 20 minutes with Patty. He said that he had received a dance from her. Leslie claimed after he left the club, he visited a casino 20 miles north of Everett. He went on to say that on his way home, he noticed what he described as a scantily clad female at the gas station. Leslie said it appeared that the woman was attempting to put air in her tire. The gas station he described would have been the one that had the broken pump. Investigators were puzzled. The details of Leslie's story seemed to make him a critical witness, someone who had seen Patty just minutes before she had been killed. But each time police spoke with him, his story changed. What was the major contradiction in his stories that raised the biggest red flag? Couldn't get his time straight kept changing the facts. He was lying to them about things that didn't really matter. His odd behavior forced detectives to take a hard look at the possibility that James Leslie was actually a suspect in the case. And those concerns only grew when he refused to take a polygraph exam. That raised additional suspicions that he might have been involved. Each time Leslie contacted police, he continued to move himself up the suspect list. One point, he told detectives that he had a diary. And when the police asked if they could see it, he told detectives that he had burned it. He indicated that he didn't want the police getting a hold of it. Did anything he told police make sense? It didn't. He was telling people he was the sheriff's office number one suspect. And after weeks of inexplicable lies, James Leslie was finally telling someone the truth. He had, in fact, become the prime suspect in Patty Berry's murder. had honed in on James Leslie as the prime suspect in the murder of Patty Berry. The 38-year-old had originally approached police claiming to be a witness with vital information about the case. But as investigators uncovered the series of lies he told them, they began to believe that he might actually be Patty's killer. From the very beginning, James Leslie's bizarre behavior had troubled police. But he became the lead suspect after he told them about burning his diary to keep it out of the hands of law enforcement. Obviously, when you're destroying something like that, investigators are going to take a more careful look at you. Investigators obtained a search warrant for Leslie's home. 
they were stunned when they found a diary with burnt pages inside. What happened when you opened the book? It was another family member's, and there was nothing in the diary to indicate that was involved at all with our case. Detectives also recovered a knife, was sent to the crime lab for testing. They didn't find anything that connected him to Patty. Without any solid evidence tying James Leslie to the crime, police were forced to move on, and the investigation ground to a halt. Months turned into years without answers, and Patty's mother became despondent. I thought, do I have to get up every morning and feel this way? But Nancy refused to give up and made sure that Patty's case stayed in the public eye. I have to do something and it has to count. I just thought, Patty, I want you to know that we never gave up. She begged Scott North, a reporter for the Daily Herald, to help her generate new leads on her daughter's case. Nancy Stensford was in hell. The questions haunted her. She wanted so desperately to find out who took her daughter's life that it was, it was an obsession. The reporter quickly committed to doing whatever he could to help. Nancy loved her daughter, and so I always saw it from day one. It was a story about love, a mother's love for their child. He kept Patty alive in the paper, honestly, and I appreciate that so much. And the touching articles published four years after Patty's murder actually generated a lead. A new witness contacted police after reading them. A man came forward and said he remembers being at the car wash near where Patty's car was found, and he remembers seeing a man washing what looked to him like blood. That isn't an everyday occurrence. Did he say why he didn't report that to police? Initially, he indicated that he thought it might have been animal blood, that the guy may have been a hunter. He said that the guy was just so nonchalant about the whole thing that it didn't really strike him as being all that important at the time. The date when Patty was murdered was his sister's birthday, a night he vividly remembered. What did the man look like that he described? He had a mullet, mustache, 200 pounds, 5'10", 6 foot. The hair was really the most individual aspect of what he described. A composite sketch of the suspect was created and released to the public. They put the flyers out. You know, a couple of tips came in. They followed those up, and then just nothing panned out. The investigation had hit another dead end. How would you characterize the status of the investigation at that point? It was still open, but they'd run every lead down that they had, and they had nothing else to do. Then, in February 2005, almost 10 years after Patty's murder, 
cold case detective Jim Scharf and David Heitzman reopened the investigation. They hoped that DNA evidence needed to solve Patty's case might be on items inside her car. We're sure that the suspect killed her, drove her in her car, dumped her body, and drove her car back and dropped it off. Detectives focused their attention on the car's steering wheel and were amazed to find it had been meticulously preserved. I thought it was an excellent item of evidence to submit to try to get DNA from. The steering wheel was sent to the Washington State Crime Lab, and shockingly, an unknown DNA profile was discovered. There was a DNA profile of a male mixed with the DNA of Patty Berry that was on the steering wheel. I was really excited. I thought, now this case can be solved. More than 10 years after Patty Berry's murder, investigators had just received critical new evidence. Testing revealed an unknown male's DNA on the bloodstained steering wheel of the young mother's car. Now police wondered if it would be the break that finally solved the heartbreaking case. For more than a decade, the Snohomish County Sheriff's Department and Patty Berry's family had refused to give up on the case. And in August 2008, DNA evidence submitted to CODIS revealed the answer they had been waiting for. What was the result of the testing? They found a profile of a known offender by the name of Danny Giles, who was currently in custody serving time. Was he ever on the radar during the original investigation? He was not. We had gone through the whole case file. He was not mentioned at all in the case. 40-year-old Danny Giles had a long rap sheet, but his DNA had only recently been uploaded into the system after a conviction for indecent exposure. What was Danny Giles' criminal history? He was a registered sex offender. He had a uh, conviction for an attempted rape where he was armed with a knife. Despite Giles' violent past and the new DNA evidence, investigators still had a long way to go before they could arrest him. What the DNA told us at the time was his hands had been on her steering wheel. That doesn't tell us he killed her. Now we need to see, well, can we connect him in any other fashion to Patty Berry? And it didn't take long for the missing pieces to start falling into place. Detectives were stunned when they compared the eyewitness's composite sketch to a photo of Giles from the time. It was eerie how closely the composite matched photographs of Giles from that time. 
He had the same haircut, same mustache. It's startling, the resemblance. I'm not sure I've ever seen a composite that was that spot on. And there was more. Records show that Giles had lived in the area and worked for a local landscaping company in the months leading up to Patty's murder. Still, investigators knew that all of their hard work might ride on Giles' interrogation. I needed to get him to either confess or get him to deny that he'd ever been in Patty Berry's car. Detective Scharf had carefully researched every detail of Giles' life before he sat down for a casual conversation with his prime suspect. I approached him like, hey, we need your help because I know that you lived and hung around in the area where Patty Berry disappeared and was killed in. Giles admitted he had heard about Patty Berry's case on TV, but claimed he didn't know anything else about it. He denied knowing Patty or ever being in her car. We knew that we could prove that he was lying to us. I was just eating it all up. Giles even denied being familiar with the remote area where Patty Berry's body was discovered. Detectives found evidence that was yet another lie. One of the most damning things that Giles said is that he had never, ever been to that lot where her body had been found. He'd worked on a landscaping crew. Dan Giles had been at that location once a week for about three months. It was common for them to dump the grass clippings from their job in the area where her body was found. Then, as the interview was coming to an end, Detective Sharp confronted Giles with the DNA evidence that placed him inside Patty's car. He was taken back by that. I'm telling him that his DNA wouldn't be there unless he was the person that killed Patty. You could see that he was backed into a corner and he was nervous. Although Giles never confessed, investigators believe they had heard enough. On November 14, 2012, prosecutors charged Danny Giles with the murder of Patty Berry. Detective Scharf was able to make one of the most satisfying calls of his career to her mother. He said, we've got him. We got him. As prosecutors prepared for trial, they continued to find more evidence against Giles including his DNA on several more items connected to the murder. It was found on the rear of the headrest from the driver's seat of Patty's car. It was found on her jeans and had been found on her dance bag. And that wasn't all. Giles' DNA was also found to be connected with another unsolved crime in the area. 
the disappearance and presumed murder of 22-year-old Tracy Brazel. Until the DNA hit, the only clue police had uncovered in 17 years was her abandoned car. Danny Giles' blood was found on a window of the car that Tracy Brazel had owned. In fact, we had an investigator look at the car, and they found that the glass had been broken from the outside in. There was blood on the side of the car. Tracy had last been seen leaving a bar two miles away from where Patty's body was discovered. For Tracy's heartbroken father, Bill, the news of the DNA hit was both a relief and a confirmation. During all those years of waiting, did you begin to lose faith that you would ever find out who killed her? Absolutely, I did. I thought the system was working against us. Thank God that uh, Craig and uh, Jim Scharf, they gave me hope. Danny Giles was charged with Tracy's murder faced with the complexities of convicting him without finding her body, prosecutors ultimately decided they could only take Giles to trial for Patty Berry's murder. What is your reaction when prosecutors decided to pursue Patty's case and not Tracy's? I felt it was probably a better way to go because they had stronger evidence in Patty's case, especially with the body. When the trial opened in October of 2014, all eyes were on Danny Giles. I remember looking at him, and I just thought to myself, how can you stab someone 19 times and not have any feeling? Describe the moment you saw Danny Giles in court for the first time. He had on his suit and had his hair cut, but he still had the presence of being a monster. What was his defense? It was a combination of it wasn't me and whatever science you're gonna hear about is flawed. the jury sided with the prosecution. Jurors found Danny Giles guilty of first-degree murder. After justice had finally been served, Patty Berry's mother was able to release 20 years of pent-up anguish. Oh, my gosh. Um, I was ecstatic. It's over. He's been found guilty, thank God. And I had the biggest cry I've had in years. The 46-year-old was sentenced to 47 and a half years in prison, the maximum under state guidelines. When it came time for a victim's impact statement, Patty's mother was too overcome with emotions to speak. 
But today, she knows the questions she wishes Danny Giles would answer. I've always wanted to know, why didn't you ask her if she had a family that loved her? Why did you have to kill her? Prosecutors are still at a loss to explain exactly how the crime unfolded. What do you really think happened the night of Patty's murder? Somehow, she and Giles crossed paths. Why he attacked her, I don't know. I don't know what the initial motive of the attack was. Was it sexual? Was it robbery? I don't know. Patty Berry's loved ones have had their day in court, but they continue to pray that Tracy Brazel's family will also get justice. We finally got a conviction, but at the same point, a little bit of guilt that Tracy's family doesn't get any of that. They are still living that nightmare. What would it mean to you to finally have that answer? That'd be the final thing I need in my life. I just want to bring her back here where she can be buried and uh, we can feel the peace. Patty's mother is grateful for that peace and for those who put her daughter's killer behind bars. But the thoughts of what might have been still haunt her every day. I loved watching her car come down the driveway because I knew she was going to step out. We were going to have coffee or we were going to talk. I just miss her. Investigators hope there's a witness out there that can help them solve Tracy Brazel's case. If you have any information, please contact the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office in Washington State. I'm Paula Zahn. Please join us again next time when we're back on the case.